Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Well, we're humming along in our nine-week series we began a few weeks ago in the book of Acts. The first half of Acts in this morning's sermon is sort of part two of, of last week's. It's going to be um, shorter, sigh of relief, um, and more practical. We began looking last week in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden. We were looking at Adam and the call of Abraham, and, and we followed this trail of these stories to their destination in Christ and in his church. And I ended by inviting you to consider what does devotion look like for you? What does is, what is being devoted to Christ's church look like? This week, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be more practical. We're going to look at the four essential rhythms that we see the church devoting themselves to, which are what? Apostles teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and the prayers. Very good. I know you know the answer, and it's, it's, sometimes it can feel patronizing. It's like, I know Acts 2.42, but I just want to know that you're awake and you're engaged. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, these, these four rhythms. Learning, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And as we begin, I just want to frame this as an invitation to a rule of life. Have any of you ever heard that language before, a rule of life? A rule of life, what is that? Well, in the early 6th century, a young man left behind his wealthy Roman upbringing and the promise of a Harvard-level education, and he took up residence in a 10-foot in a deep cave in the wilderness of Italy. And this man's name was Benedict of Nursia. And he thought and he thought and he prayed and he prayed, what should my life look like? How can I devote myself to the Lord? And the result of this time in the wilderness was his rule of life. Benedict's rule of life was essentially humility expressed in contemplation and community. Humility expressed in contemplation and community. So what is a rule of life? I want to define it very simply. A rule of life is a holistic vision for living on purpose. It's a holistic vision for living on purpose. So imagine a garden. Some of you are gardeners. You either cultivate a garden or you don't. And if you don't, you're passive for even just like a a month. The weeds take it over. The bugs come in and destroy it. Um, it, It's ruined. So a rule of life is a way of basically refusing to passively abandon the garden of your life. It's to refuse to let life just happen to you as it brings you whatever it does in which case the wild weeds of life will proliferate. Uh, A rule of life is a holistic vision for living on purpose. How do I want to live? What are the essential rhythms I want to be the, the, to make up the nature of what I give my life to? Because our lives are really the sum total of our daily rhythms, are they not? So why do we need a rule of life? Listen to Eugene Peterson's translation of, of Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, so here's what I want you to do. This is Paul speaking. God helping you. He says, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. So if the end goal of the Christian life is to be changed from the inside out into Christ-likeness, and it is, then a rule of life is, is a personal vision for how you plan to cooperate with the point of your existence with the reason you were made. How can I cooperate? How can my life take on the grain of what I was made to do and to be and how I was was made to live? It's to place your everyday, ordinary life 
before God as an offering. That's a rule of life. So when you hear the word rule, you may think, oh, at least I kind of do. But a, a rule need not be something that just, just forbids you. It can be something that actually supports and enables you to do the thing you want to do. So I'm looking at a violin player over here. You had a rule, yeah, yeah, I see you, Phil. You had a rule of life, excuse me, wow. You had a rule of life, you had a, a rhythm that you took on hour after hour after hour because you wanted to cooperate with this gift you had been given. Those of you who work out, those of you who uh, are into a unique profession, you know how this goes. Doctors know how this, all of us in some ways have cooperated with the gifts we've been given to foster this goal, this vision of flourishing that we have, violin playing or, or whatever it is. So what are the daily rhythms of your life that add up to be just that, your life? Your, your morning coffee, of course, uh, breakfast, perhaps a workout, um, work, wherever you go to work, or, or laundry, or mountain getaways, nightly television maybe. Freshly empowered by the Spirit at Pentecost, Acts 2.42 is this Spirit-empowered communal rule of life for the church. Now, as a small church pastor, I love that this picture of the early church in Acts is just a simple vision of meaningful rhythms of communal life. Not necessarily excellence in programming or, or this novel strategy. It's so simple. Look at it. Acts 2.46. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I love this simple vision of a glad and generous quality of life together that draws people in like cold hands to a warm fire. It attracts. Now, it wasn't that they had the best coffee or coolest building or most polished worship or best preacher ever. They just really, really, truly, deeply lived a rhythm of life together that was attractive and beautiful. Glad and generous hearts. People saw it and they thought, I want to live that way. I want in on that community. And the Lord, through this beautiful communal life, added to their number. So let's look at it now. What were these essential rhythms of their communal life? We've named them teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayers. Now, one quick warning. Whenever we talk about spiritual disciplines, you've got to be reminded of the gospel. Spiritual disciplines and the rhythms we take on are not things we do to force God's hand into loving us more. You all know that. What are they? These are things that sort of open the aperture of the soul, you might say. So the aperture in a camera, it's a little wider. It lets in a little more light. So these things open the aperture of the soul to receive the blessing, the love, the grace that God is already and constantly giving. They're ways of cooperating, of, of catching the wind with a sail, you might say. So first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. From the beginning, the church is a community marked by gatherings centered on the apostles' teaching, like we're doing this morning. What is the apostles' teaching? Well, it includes the gospel announcement of Jesus' incarnation and life and death and resurrection. But especially now, it's focusing in on how do we now live in light of this announcement? Because the gospel is a world-creating announcement, you might say. It creates a new reality. How do we now live in light of this reality? Now, eventually, this apostolic teaching is recorded in the New Testament, which we have, which still guides us as we learn to live and follow the apostolic teaching. There are a lot of great teachers out there. There are a lot of great counselors. There's a lot of great books suggesting ways of living. But the core belief of the church is and always has been, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So fidelity to the word of God is the lifeblood of the church. 
In John Stott's word, the Spirit of God leads the people of God to devote themselves to the words of God. The Spirit of God always leads the people of God to devote themselves to the words of God. And so I'll be just annoyingly practical here on this first point. As you consider your own rule of life, just start there. Devote yourself to one daily rhythm of private learning of the Apostles' teaching and one weekly rhythm of public learning of the Apostles' teaching, as you are all doing at this exact moment. What is one private rhythm of learning the Apostles' teaching and one public rhythm? Now, the second essential rhythm of the church is fellowship. This is a real Christian buzzword, is it not? When is the last time you used the word fellowship outside of a church environment? Have any of you asked your coworkers out for some fellowship after, after work? <clears throat> this word is, you know, it, it means what we think it means. It means hanging out, time together. But, but especially there's an emphasis on generous sharing, sharing of resources with one another. So if you come to Taco Tuesday at my house this week, what you're invited to do, 6.30, bring a side to share, bring a chair, come hang out. That's fellowship. Six o'clock. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Jenny. Um, Six o'clock, we'll have some fellowship. The word here is koinonia, this Greek word. And koinonia means hanging out, spending time together, but it means especially generous sharing of resources. So when we gather for Taco Tuesday, we're going to have some fellowship in conversation, but really... The food you purchase with your money and lovingly prepare with your time and offer as a gift to others, that's koinonia. That's generous sharing. Verse 44 goes on to describe what koinonia is. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, anyone who had need. Now, the typical question that arises here is, is this communism? (laughs) And the answer is no. I mean, if you don't ask that question, you're not taking seriously what it's saying. I mean, they they sold everything and gave to those who had need. What's going on here? It's not communism. It's communalism, we might say. This was not a political philosophy imposed by force by the state. This was a voluntary participation in koinonia and what it means to be a family. Now, my kids know that each of us are an individual I that belongs to a greater we. Now, would I ever ask one of my kids to starve so that the others can excessively feast? No, the bread is going to be shared, of course. Apostolic teaching pictures the church as a family, a deeply knit community of eyes, individual eyes, who are part of a greater we, and no sibling is going to go hungry in this family. This isn't communism, it's communalism. They, they valued people over property without rejecting private property altogether. That's koinonia. You are invited into the same fellowship, into the same koinonia. How so? Well, here's just one small story. Recently, Pablo and some others, they gave their time and their talents and their their vision for what God was inviting them into to forming what they call the response service team, the, the rest team. And this team exists to serve and respond to those who come to Advent seeking help. Now, this team, they had plenty of funds. Why? Because of you your generosity, your contribution to Koinonia. So they had plenty of funds to buy grocery gift cards and to buy some soup and some snacks because of your generosity. Now, last week, Denise, a home, not her real name, a homeless woman, came, um, she came in off the street. She was in the pew weeping and, and, and crying in Advent, and she was obviously hungry and distraught. Now, she left having been welcomed with warm soup and snacks 
having been listened to and prayed for, having been dignified with, with a caring presence to hear her story, and then sent out with a, with a resource sheet for local support and a Bible in her purse. I love this story because it's just a very simple illustration of how koinonia, when koinonia happens, when a family devotes itself to koinonia, blessing abounds. Blessing happens in countless ways. Because you all gave your resources, we had them. Because others gave their, the talents God had given them, the passions God had given them, they contributed to this ministry. And it all comes together to just overflow in blessing in small ways to the community. That's koinonia. The Church of Christ is a family marked by radical koinonia. Why? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. So we don't share our resources so generously because it's the right thing to do and I'm just going to do it. It's because the living God has shared himself with us. He has shared, he has shown koinonia. He has bound himself to us in his spirit, indwelling us now, and it overflows in us. That's koinonia. And when this happens, it's so beautiful, isn't it? You belong to a community where you're known, you're cared for, you're prayed for, you're sent meals. If you're having children, you're supported. That's the vision for the church. So as you consider your own life, your own rule of life, what rhythms of generous sharing will you give yourself to this year? Now, you can't do it all, of course, but you can be faithful with what you have. How will your rule of life help you grow in koinonia? What's the next step of faithfulness into this sharing for you? Third, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This refers to two interconnected realities of the early church. They gathered regularly to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, as Christ had commanded them to do, and they regularly feasted together in homes. This is the, the biblical underpinning for why most churches do what they do. They gather on Sundays for the Lord's Supper, and they gather in homes throughout the week to break bread. Pretty simple. Now, until the doctrine of Christ's real absence, you might say, took root in the church 500-some years ago, 1,500 years of church history attested to what I believe the Bible very clearly teaches, Jesus is mysteriously, truly, spiritually present to us as we gather at this table. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul puts it plainly. He says, when we take the wine and the bread and the Lord's Supper, we are participating. We are participating in the body and blood of Christ. Do you know what word he uses when he says participating? Anyone want to guess? Koinonia. We are koinonia. We are sharing in. We are generously, deeply connected to fellowship with Christ in this table. More than any other place on earth, Christ is deeply and truly sharing himself with us as we share life in Christ together around this table. So a robust life, a robust rule of life, will involve a devotion to a rhythm of gathering around the Lord's table and to breaking bread together gladly and generously in homes. And that's life groups, essentially. But there are many ways to do that. And finally, they devoted themselves to the prayers. The disciples continued to go to the temple to pray, and they prayed in community there, and their worship gatherings were not complete without the prayers. So in your own rule of life, work towards a private, devotional prayer life and a communal rhythm of prayer, like we do every Sunday morning. So there you have it. It's nothing too fancy. The church's rule of life was kind of simple. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. That's the Christian rule of life. Now, perhaps the main lesson for many of us today is simply the, 
the essentially communal nature of the Christian life that we've seen here. John Stott says, our chief blind spot has been to overlook the importance of the church. He's talking to modern Christians. This was some years ago, too. Our chief blind spot has been to overlook the importance of the church. Our message has been more good news of a new life than of a new society. It's different. They're connected, but it's, the, the emphasis is different. Our message has been more good news of new life than of a new society. For the sake of God's glory and the evangelization of the world, nothing is more important than the church becoming God's new society, his new, his new people, his new city, the city of God on earth. So I'll end with this comforting reminder. I've invited you to grow in a, in a rule of life or to think about what your rule of life is. What are the rhythms you're going to give yourself to? But remember this, devotion for children is different than devotion for adults. So this is not a one-size-fits-all, I'm either doing it right or I'm not kind of thing. The spiritual life is a journey, it is not a static possession. That's important to remember. It's a journey, not a static possession, which means it's a a dynamic growth towards Christ, towards wholeness in Christ, being changed from the inside out. It comes from an ever-deepening, authentic response to him in relationship. And this means that the question before you is not, how can I go from like skinny Steve Rogers to Captain America overnight, from zero to 100? How can I just have and do everything right, right away? And have, no, what is the dynamic, unique, particular call of God into deeper faithfulness now in your life? It's going to look different for a child than for an adult. So if you're a new Christian and you've never even thought about tithing before, Maybe it's time to say, I'm going to, be, I'm going to start giving. You know, the 10%, 10% is, a, is, a, is a kind of average. I'm going to start giving 5% towards God's work in the world. Or maybe if you are a longtime believer and you've already been generously given for a long time, maybe it's time to look at what's my next step. Or if you're not in a, any kind of community beyond Sunday mornings, maybe you want to think about how could I open my home to bless my neighbors and share in Koinonia. Or maybe it's a life group. There's just so many ways to live this out. So ask the Lord to lead you. And what is the next step of faithfulness? Well, it's just the next simple step of faithfulness into living into this rule of life, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Father, would you teach us how to live more deeply into this invitation that you've given us? It is actually a grace that you give us by your spirit that we can't even say yes to these things. So would you give us that grace like you gave the churches around Jerusalem who took up this generous offering and gave to the suffering Jerusalem church? You grace them with generosity. Would you grace our community by your spirit with deeper koinonia, with deeper fellowship and fidelity to the apostles' teaching? Would you nourish us this morning with the breaking of bread in our prayers? We love you. We're so grateful that you provide everything we need through your church especially. Thank you for this body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.